Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. And if we could turn some lights on here for the blind preacher, <laughs> that'd be good. Thank you. I'll make sure I can read my Bible here today. That's good. Well, I'm glad to be back with you. Thank you so much for all your prayers through my cancer journey and blood clots in the lungs, and I'm still going and doing great. Everybody says, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm like, really, really doing good. I know it doesn't look like it, but I I really am doing well. This is a time of year where there's a lot of planning and excitement going on. Now, you think I'm referring to Christmas, but I'm not. I'm actually referring to getting close to the start of the next year and the new year. Because there's all that planning and excitement about all the things we're going to do better next year. How we're going to start over and we're going to, you know, we're going to have that fresh start. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people see God's forgiving us of our sins as a fresh start. And I'm going to blow that up today. I'm going to just say something to you at the start. If you see God's forgiving your sins as a fresh start, you totally missed the meaning of the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we go into your word today, and as you have set this time aside for us to hear from you, I don't want to get in the way of that. I thank you for the privilege I've been been given and the honor today to come and to be your mouthpiece to your folks and the people here that need to know you. And so, Lord, today I surrender my heart, my mouth, my mind. I just surrender myself to you to be used of you as your instrument today. Speak to us. Help us to see this truth. Take us to a deeper understanding of something that maybe we have been a little bit confused about over the years. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, if you think and you see your salvation as a fresh start, you've totally missed the meaning of the name Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and she has conceived a son. And it's the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Look closely what happens. The angel Gabriel comes and says to Mary, God's going to put a baby inside of you. It's going to be his child. And you're to name him Jesus. Mary wasn't allowed to pick the name. God had already chosen the name. Does anybody know what the name Jesus actually means? You're, you're, you're timid. 
Yeshua is the, the Hebrew name. It means Savior. It means the Lord is salvation. My prayer is by the end of today's message that whenever you hear the name Jesus, you hear Savior. Whenever you hear the word Savior, you think of Jesus. Folks, to think that our, our, our salvation is a fresh start would be to totally miss the name of Jesus and the meaning of the name Jesus. It means Savior. You say, what do you mean? Well, stick with me. I'm going to lay the foundation a little bit more. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. You'll see that not only does the angel come and say, you are to name him Jesus. In Matthew's account in chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18, we see that Joseph is visited by an angel as well, and he too is told the exact same thing. Here's what you're to name your child, this child that's going to be in Mary's womb that's really not from you. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And we get a little more information now. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he didn't know her sexually until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, the angel comes to Mary and says, there's a baby that God's going to put in your belly, and you're to name him Jesus. Joseph is told later when he finds out that Mary's pregnant, and he's thinking that someone else did it because he knew he didn't do it. And, he, and as he's about to divorce her quietly, the angel comes and says, no, what's in her is from God, and you are to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. After the baby's born, the angels come and announce the birth. And Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a what? A savior who is Christ the Lord. Not only did the angel come and say, Mary, you had a baby in you and God did it and you were to name him Jesus. The angel, another angel comes and tells Joseph that what's going on in Mary is from God and you're to name this baby Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And then the time that the baby's born, the angels come and announce to the temple shepherds there who are watching the Passover lambs in the nearby area of Bethlehem. He says, a savior has been born. Let me just lay this out for you straight and, and clear. You don't need a second chance. You need a savior. You don't want a second chance. You want a savior. You see, 
If we see our salvation as a second chance, a chance to do better, a chance to start over, we've totally missed the meaning of the name Jesus. Folks, let me tell you something about yourself that hopefully you understand. And if you don't, I hope the Spirit of God opens your eyes to it today. If I gave you a hundred thousand second chances, you'd blow them all. If I gave you 200,000 second chances, you'd blow them all. How many of you thinking back to previous New Year's resolutions? How'd you do? I heard this one comedian one time said, you know, yeah, the start of the new year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out every day. And then after his first day of working out, he goes, well, not every day. You know, I got I to gotta let my muscles breathe a little. And then he gets up the next morning and says, you know what? I kind of like how I look. I don't want to get caught up in that beauty culture. You know, we love to make vows and promises. But actually, let's think back over the history of mankind and look at all the second chances they were given and how they did. You know, the Bible says that because the wickedness of man and the violence on the earth had increased so much that at the time of Noah, God said, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. But again, don't miss this. In Genesis 6, God said, the reason why I'm doing this is because the wickedness of man has increased rapidly and they're so violent. He started over with Noah and his family. How'd we do? We're right back at it, aren't we? You look at the nation of Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt, but they were worshiping the idols, the Bible says. The Bible actually teaches us they were worshiping the idols of the Egyptians. And God took them out of there to bring them to a land where they could worship him and him alone. He gave them a fresh start. By the way, any idea how many days it was till they already worship in a golden calf out there in the wilderness? Not long. The nation of Israel was given another chance to. They were going to the promised land. Of course, they blew it. The, the next generation was given a fresh start. God says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land and I want you to worship me and me alone and as you know from the scriptures, it wasn't long before they were worshiping the false gods of the nations around them and had to be removed from their land. Folks, you don't need a second chance. You need a savior. You don't want a second chance. You want a savior. Let me throw something else at you, though. Let's just say hypothetically that you could stop sinning from right now. Let's just say hypothetically, yeah, okay, I've blown it a little bit, but from right now, I'm not going to sin ever again. If you could, and by the way, you can't, don't even waste your time trying. But if you could, it's still too late. You see, the Bible says that if you're going to measure your righteousness by how well you've kept the law of God, the law demands perfection. And therefore, if you have already blown it, even if you don't sin from now on, you're already in trouble because you have never and cannot keep it perfectly. Let me let the scripture lay that out for you. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures here. I knew you were about ready for it. You say, wait a minute, this is the first time he hasn't given us half the book. Well, we're about to now. So go to James chapter 2. Go to James chapter 2. Look at verse 10. By the way, before I read this to you, I want to ask a show of hands. How many of you have broken at least one of God's commands in your lifetime. All right. I said at least. I didn't say only. <laughs> James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. 
If you're able to keep the whole law of God but stumble at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all because the law demands perfection. Well, you say, where does it say that? We'll go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 14. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by what? Faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul says, the law says that if you're going to live by the law, you're going to have to obey it perfectly. The demands of the law are perfection. So even if you had broken the law, but now from now on, don't break the law anymore, still too late. Isn't that interesting how Jesus, when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal, eternal life and salvation? Jesus says to him, keep the law. I've always asked churches that. I say, what did Jesus say when the rich young ruler comes up to him? And, 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 uh, and they always say, well, he told him to go and sell his goods. No, that's the second thing he said. The first thing he said to him was, keep the law. Now, that's interesting. The Bible is very clear all throughout. I'm going to show you a couple other places in a little bit how no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Why in the world would God say to this rich young ruler, you just go ahead and keep the law? Because the purpose of the law is to reveal to us we can't keep it. We already had the problem of sinning. The law just reveals that. The Bible actually says that from the time of Adam and Eve, which broke, they broke a command of God by eating from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. But from that time all the way until the time of Moses when God gave the law people still died all the way from Adam all the way to Moses which is evidence that there was sin because the soul that sins it shall die and the fact that every single person between Adam and Moses died is evidence that there was still sin but they didn't realize it there there's no consciousness of it until God says thou shalt not Actually, Paul even puts it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the power of sin is the law. In other words, what fuels sin is the law. Then he goes on in Romans and says, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law said don't covet. But then every covetous desire rose up inside of me. I don't know about, actually, I do know about you. You're just like me. I shared this illustration with some people before in the Bible studies, but if you happen to be walking down a sidewalk, you wouldn't even think about stepping on someone's lawn. But the moment they put up all these signs that say, stay off my grass, now you want to go, oh yeah, look what I can do. <laughs> Interestingly enough, years ago, I got, I got uh, um, two, two kids, that one a daughter that's already got two degrees from UCF and a son that's at UCF now. Go Knights. All right, listen. By the way, it's a real quick, for those of you that are UCF fans, you know what UCF football team's favorite Christmas carol is? No L. Think about it. All right, now we'll get back to the message here. So and now when, when my kids were going through their orientation, though, as we went through the orientation, they took us around the campus. And in the student union building, there is this big logo of Pegasus on the floor. And they have all these ropes around it, like you'd find at the bank that you have to go through to get in line. And, and, and you're told from day one, no one is allowed to step foot on the Pegasus. 
until after you graduate. If you step foot on Pegasus before you graduate, you won't graduate. That's what they're told. Though there's ropes around it sometimes, but other times there's not. Those of you that are students over there, you know. You can go through the student union building, and there's not always ropes around it. And sometimes you'll see kids just walking along, and all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, whoa, and they get around it. But when I was told as a parent, no one's allowed to step on it until you graduate, I don't know why, but everything in me wanted to just, in front of all those other parents, go stand in the middle of that thing naked and dance. <laughs> Did, did the word naked come out loud? All right. I don't know. I just everything in me said, you can't tell me what I can't do. The law didn't make you sin, but it did. You already had that problem. It just fueled it. It actually in Romans chapter five, verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass would increase. God said they got a problem and they don't know it. And I'm going to give them some commands so that they'll realize they got a problem. The law is not, well, the law is an MRI. The MRI didn't give me cancer. The MRI revealed my cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all got a problem. We don't need a second chance. We need a savior. Go to Romans chapter one. You don't want a second chance. You'll blow it. You want a savior. If you're here today and you've never been saved, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care how much you convince yourself that you can do good and you're going to do better and, you know, I'm going to live better. You can't. Let me just, just give it up. Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile for in it this gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith just like we read earlier there in Galatians go over to chapter 3 you're in Romans 1 jump over to chapter 3 look at verses 19 and 20 for we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by it, the work, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes what? Comes the knowledge of sin. Oh, but keep reading. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in what's his name? Oh, that's not what you're supposed to hear. The Savior. You see it? Through faith in the Savior. Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ who? The Savior. You don't want a second chance. You need a Savior. But you know, do you remember what the angel told Joseph? You're to name this baby that's in Mary's womb, Jesus. Why? You remember? For he will save his people from their sins. Folks, one of the greatest days in my life was in 1973 when I realized I needed a savior. Now, I grew up 
in a Christian home. Some of you remember my dad. He's with Jesus now. And, but my dad was a preacher. I grew up in a little town in New Hampshire, and my dad was the pastor of the Protestant church there in that town. And my mom was the pianist, and every time the doors were open, we were there. And I had grown up in a Christian home and in a house of a preacher and gone to church all the time. And in 1973, an evangelist came into that town in Milton, New Hampshire. And in the local high school, in the gymnasium, he had an evangelistic rally. And we went because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do when the evangelist comes into town and the churches all came. And But at eight years old, sitting on a little metal chair in that gymnasium in Milton, New Hampshire, all of a sudden the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart and he opened my eyes to the fact that even though I was a church boy and trying to live a good life, I wasn't going to heaven. I was going to hell because I had broken God's law and that I needed to do something personally about that situation. And I actually remember feeling like the Holy Spirit just picked me up out of the chair and shoved me down the aisle when the invitation came. And I realized I didn't need to do better tomorrow. I needed a Savior. But you know, this misconception about a Savior carries over after salvation. That's what I want to talk to you about in the time we have left this morning. I've come to realize that even though in 1973 I, didn't, I knew I didn't need a second chance, I needed a Savior, and I gave Him my life and trusted Him as my Savior, I've also come to realize that sin is insidious, and it still wants me to rest in my ability to make myself even better before God, instead of resting in the fact that the one who began the good work is the one who's going to finish it. I want to talk to you Christians now. I've been talking to people here today that don't know Jesus as your Savior. But again, for those of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't need a second chance. You need what? You don't want a second chance. What do you want? You want a Savior. But now, for those of us here who have already received Him as Lord, He's already our Savior. Let me say something to you. You have a Savior. And you need this Savior. You see, because we unfortunately, even though we're saved, still want to help God or feel like we're supposed to help God finish what he promised he would do. And so I'm going to take you to some scriptures that show you the importance of focusing on Jesus, not on doing better. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, not show of hands this time, I want you, I want you to answer it to yourself. How many of you over the years have walked down an aisle after a church service and rededicated yourself? In tears, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Thank you for the fact that I'm safe, but now I'm really embarrassed about what I've been doing and how I've been living. Lord, I'm, I'm going to live for you now. Anybody? <laughs> Again, you don't have to raise your hand. But let me ask you this question. How'd you do? Probably like your New Year's resolution, right? Let me say this to you, and then I'm going to show you some scriptures. How foolish is it for us to think that anything we do can add to what Almighty God has begun and has promised He will do? How foolish is it to think that we can help Him let me share with you a couple of scriptures and then I'll give you, well, then a couple more. Go to John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6. 
Look at verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus said, it's the Spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, you see it there. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Let me say that to you again. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. How many of us have been told to live for Jesus and to shine for Jesus? Give it up. You can't. You've been given a Savior. And He's begun the work and He wants to finish it. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Not only is the... Uh, Spirit, I'm sorry, the flesh, no help at all. Look at Matthew 26, verse 41. Jesus is in the garden with his disciples and he's wanting them to pray with him right before the cross. And he says in verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why when we're after our salvation, in the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, Christ, and, and the fact that the Scripture says we're being transformed, we're daily being renewed in the Spirit. God, that's God's work. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't want you to have a fresh start or do-over. Well, Jim, aren't His mercies new every morning? Yes, His mercies are new every morning, but He doesn't want to give you a fresh start every morning. Neither do you want a fresh start every morning. You know why? Because if I have a fresh start every morning after I'm saved, I've got to go back to square one. I don't want to go back to square one. He, he's already begun to work in me, and I've been walking with Him for over 40 years now. And He's done an amazing work. I don't want to go back to eight years old and start that process all over again. Do you? No, I want to walk with my Savior and have Him say to me, Jim, let's pick up where we left off. You, you got away from following me, and you walked in the flesh for a while. And my flesh says, well, let's start over. And God says, you don't want that. We've already done a lot, and we're going to pick up from there. Oh, and I'm such an amazing Savior, I'll even take your mess-ups and use them as a part of your growth. Oh, Christians, you don't want a fresh start. You need a Savior, and you have a Savior. You have to learn how to daily lay your flesh on the altar. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and we're to learn how to walk with Him in the Spirit. If I say, Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been born again by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, too many Christians think, well, thank God for my salvation, but I'm going to have to live better for Him. You can't! The flesh is no help at all. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It can't help you get there. You've got to, just like you did to get saved, get to a point where you say, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I've broken His commands. I'm guilty as if I broke them all. The only way I'll be righteous is if God just kind of just, boom, gives it to me. And he says, that's all I want you to do is to believe that I will. And I will declare you righteous if you put your faith in what my son did through his sinless life, through his death on the cross for your sins, through his resurrection. I will declare you righteous. Listen closely. After salvation, you need to daily renew your mind and say, he who began this good work 
is the author and the perfecter of my faith. Go to me to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to teach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is who? It's Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision uh, made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands and that he this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him uh, look at verse chapter 3 verse 1 if you then have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on the things that are above not on things on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You want to experience the sanctification process that God's got you in? Stop trying to help them. Years ago when my son was little, I'd take him fishing. And we still get to go over now that he's 20 years old. But our schedules don't line up as well, and we don't get to go as much as we used to. But when, when he was little, inevitably, he'd get his fishing line tangled. And as dad, I wanted to help. But he would say, no, do it myself. By the way, we didn't do a whole lot of fishing during that time because he kept making it worse. And as his dad, I wanted to say, I can fix this. But he wouldn't let me. How many of you are promising God that you'll do better? Lord, I'll do it. And he says, you can't. That's my job. I just want you to, in the same way in which you received me as Lord, trusting totally that I would be declaring you righteous, and that I would take away your sin problem and save you from your sin. I want you to trust on a daily basis that I will also finish what I started. I loved how you prayed today. It's not your job or my job to get anybody to give. That's the Holy Spirit. And if we really trusted that the Holy Spirit is able to work in us and in the people around us, man, we'd be a bunch of fun people to be around, wouldn't we? 
Romans chapter 14, verse 4, Paul says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. Listen, and the Lord is able to make him stand. And if I really believe that God would finish what he started with me and believe that he had finished what he started with you, I'd leave you alone, you'd leave me alone. And we might actually talk to each other more than, hey, brother, hey, sister. Let me give you one more scripture. I want to give you seven more, but I think God's telling me one more. Because God, God, you know, because, because, take her out. <laughs> I'm at this whole time preaching, telling God how much he needs my help. Let me give you one last scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? We're being transformed. It's happening. Christians, you don't want a fresh start with your sanctification, do you? You don't want to go back to square one. No, you want a Savior, and you have a Savior who says, let's pick up where we left off. Let's pick up where we left off. Father, this morning as we now take some time to worship you in response, you've spoken to our hearts. Whatever declaring you as our Savior means... And you'll show us what that is, whether we have to trust you today and enter into that saving relationship through faith or handing over the things we think you need our help. It could be our children. It could be our finances. It could be all sorts of things. Health. All of life is to be centered around you. That's a mystery, as the scripture says. But it's a glorious mystery that you'll reveal and unveil little by little as we just walk with you. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus and the fact that his name means Savior. Thank you, Father, that you didn't come to give us a second chance. We'd blow over and over and over. You came to give us a Savior. And thank you, Father, that after you saved us, you don't expect us to help you. You expect us to continue to trust you and to walk in obedience to what you say, believing that you will do what you said you would do. Father, may we believe it in our hearts and believe it in the lives of the people around us that know you. And whatever in this time that response looks like, may we be willing to give that to you today in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jim was praying, I had the prompting to ask you a question that Jesus asked in John 11. He was talking to Mary and Martha, and he said, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. And even if he does die, he's going to live. And then he asked them the very simple question, 
Do you believe this? So I ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus is Savior? Do you believe? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask prayer partners to come here to the front. Prayer partners are here for one reason, and that's to do exactly what the name implies. They pray with you. They go with you and walk with you as you talk to the Jesus because he's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can save. If you have never known him as Savior before today, you've never believed, you've never come to that place and trusted him where you acknowledged, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot be good enough. I can't live a good enough life. I have sinned. I keep on sinning. And my sin separates me. But Jesus died for my sin. I believe that. He paid for it. All of it. Completely. Past, present, future. He died for all of it. And I enter into relationship by faith in what he has done. If you've never done that, then today is the day. Just simply. And you can't even right where you are right now say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are my Savior. I believe I have no hope but you. You can tell him right now where you stand, you can tell him. I receive you right now by faith. I give you my life right now. I turn away from trying to do it in my own strength, in my own way, and I believe in you. You just tell her. And I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you've had that conversation with him, I would encourage you this morning when we begin to sing in a moment, come tell one of these prayer partners. Let them rejoice with you and pray with you. If you haven't done it and you say, I, I, I need some help, I think, then come pray with one of them. If you're a believer here this morning and you're struggling with the fact that Jesus, you still need him as your Savior as much as you did the day you got saved. You still need a Savior today. You want a Savior today. But you're wrestling with that because you've been taught, like many of us, to try harder to do better. That, that's what Jesus expects of you, to try harder to do better. If that's where you are and you're wrestling with that, let us pray with you. And whatever else may be going on in your life, any situation that's going on, the reason we pray, folks, the reason I keep leading the church to pray, we pray everywhere all the time, is because we believe we need a Savior and that we have one in Jesus. That's why we pray. Because we can't do it. He does it. Lord Jesus, right now, in this room, you know what you're doing by your Spirit in every heart. We don't. We're trusting you to do your work. Lord, we're believing that by your Spirit, you are moving. You are speaking. Lord, right now, we respond to that. And we give you all the glory, Jesus, because you are our Savior.